our other minister on staff, Caleb Scott, is, uh, is in Africa, in Uganda right now, where uh, he and his wife Sonia, I don't know if you know this or not, some of you do, has started a not-for-profit there uh, quite a few years ago before he came to Grace, and it's a, it's a wonderful ministry, and there's going to be an opportunity to hear more about it coming up soon, but here I am today, I'm not completely by myself because now we have another ordained minister in our midst wonderful counselor uh, who's developing a practice here in Chicago, Rob Sackett, and we appreciate him coming up this morning to, to offer blessings uh, to those who came. Uh, our second reading, our second lesson is from Ephesians. It's printed for you here in your liturgy. You were dead. Through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, Spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of flesh and senses, and we were by nature children of wrath like everyone else. But God, who is rich in mercy out of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. That's not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not the result of work so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord, open our ears that we would hear the gospel. May your Holy Spirit be our teacher. Christ's name, amen. Two familiar passages, at least if you grew up in the church. Or one familiar one if you grew up watching professional football because John 3.16 was kind of always there, right? And the camera cut away. Um, Two very familiar passages. God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Everyone who believes in him may not perish but have everlasting life. By grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's a gift of God. Not the result of works so that no one may boast. It's a simple message. These words. These are words to live by. They're basic to the gospel. But I want to be honest with you. I think if you're honest with yourselves, you'll say that even though it's a simple message, it's hard to live by them day in and day out. To borrow a phrase from Father Richard Rohr, these simple words of the gospel, they teach us that the important thing to do is to accept that we're radically accepted. I was listening to this this, uh, homily by Richard Rohr this week and I was amazed at how much he could say in nine minutes. And I thought, oh, I'd love to try that sometime. (laughs) 
Um, I guess this was my week to be with the Franciscans. You know, in St. Peter's uh, in the Loop uh, is maintained by the uh, Franciscans, and, and Father Richard Rohr is a Franciscan too. But he really boils it all down so concisely when he says that at the heart of the gospel is to accept that we're radically accepted. Um, and that's what's going on here in the passages in Ephesians and in the Gospel of John this morning, that radical grace of God. On the one hand, it's easy to accept that we're radically accepted as an abstract concept, right? You accept that it's true. This is what God has said. What an amazing thing. But on the other hand, I find that it's a different thing for this acceptance to penetrate into the fiber of our beings and to change the overall narrative of our lives that we imagine ourselves living in. I think that's where it becomes difficult. You know, it's easy to accept it in our heads, so to speak, uh, maybe even in our hearts, but on a daily basis, what difference does it make? How does it change our understanding of the narratives that we live in? How does it soak into the fiber of our being, this radical acceptance? So I want to ask, how can we live more fully, day in and day out, into the narrative of radical acceptance. In order to do that, uh, we need to identify and call out into the light the patterns that take us in the opposite direction. The patterns of living and being that enclose us in ourselves and rob us of the experience of radical acceptance. One such pattern is to allow shame to lock us up in ourselves and close our ears to the gospel. Shame can do this because we misunderstand its way with us and we underestimate the power that it has to close us off from the relationships with others and close us off from a relationship with God and both those relationships are where we can find healing. The dynamic of shame inside of us makes us want to retreat from those, close ourselves to them. One of our parishioners recommended a book to me recently. It's called The Soul of Shame, and it's written by a Christian psychiatrist, Kurt Thompson. I look forward to reading it. I, I read a few excerpts from it just so I could responsibly quote from it uh, here, here this morning. But, man, I was completely amazed at the vast array of people who've endorsed this book. That always gets my attention. When people who would have a hard time going to the same church together uh, all get behind a book, that's a sign that the Holy Spirit is at work um, Anyway, um, the author talks about how shame is common to the human experience. 
And he's a psychiatrist, so he's done a lot of research and, and borrowed a lot of research from others um, to lead him to believe that shame is actually, for humans, a neurobiological reality. Talk about the fibers of our being, right? A neurobiological reality. And he argues, though, this is maybe a surprise to you, shame in and of itself is not bad. And now I quote, It is rather our system's way of warning of possible impending abandonment. That feels like something I felt before. (laughs) How about you? And he says, but we don't think of it in those terms, certainly not at very early ages. Our problem with it is generally that we tend to respond to it by relationally moving away from others rather than towards them, while experiencing within our own minds a similar phenomenon of internal disintegration. End quote. Thompson maintains that the cure for shame is relational acceptance. That comes about when we're vulnerable with each other and with God, of course, but both. Vulnerable with our stories. That that relational acceptance comes when we open up to others and tell our stories and receive acceptance instead of rejection. Shame in those scenarios loses its grip. Our narrative changes and our lives are opened up to hope and we realize more deeply in the fiber of our being We are not a mistake. We are not an embarrassment to ourselves or to others who have reminded us of the gospel or to God. We're radically accepted and we are loved as we are. The, um, this business of uh, opening up and, and being willing to share a bit of our stories with others uh, so that we might reverse the, the dynamic of shame closing us off, pulling us inward. Um, that's something that we're going to be talking about, interestingly, after Easter when we, when we do this storytelling workshop We're going to talk about the power of story and tie that into how it is that we experience the gospel in in community. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. That was just a little sidebar. When our parishioner friend recommended this book to me, she went on to say how grateful she is that the Grace Chicago community is a safe place to open up, a safe place to tell a bit of your story to someone else, a safe place to experiment with vulnerability. That was encouraging, you know, to hear, of course. 
You know, but interestingly, it resonated with something that I've been thinking about a lot. You know, after 15 years of Grace Chicago, I would say that the importance of the community speaking as the community, the importance of the community speaking with one voice of grace and acceptance, that's one of the most significant things that I've learned about how the Spirit forms us in Christ. You know, so much of uh, 20th century and early 21st century um, Christianity focuses on the individual. You know, but until you have another person who knows a significant bit of your story look you in the eye and welcome you into their life, until then, this notion of grace and radical acceptance can hover above us in the abstract theory world. I'm convinced that a big reason for why Grace Chicago Church um, has such a thick and sturdy community and speaks with one voice as a community about God's love and acceptance is because week in and week out, we celebrate the sacrament of communion we have from day one. And figuratively speaking, when you walk up here, you are walking up here for each other. And you're accepting the person in front of you and the person behind you as a broken person, but on the same journey that you're on. That gives us, in in the words of Aaron Keeker, our New Testament theologian friend who, along with his family, worshipped here for some time, uh, that gives us a thickness to our community. That enables us to rely on our community to accept our stories to accept each other. I don't know what page that was, but I'm going to pick it up in case I need it. Excuse me. So tell your story to each other. Tell your story to each other so that you might be reminded that you are the one Paul is talking about when he says in Ephesians, you're created for good works. What? Who, me? Created for good works? We tend to think it's someone else. The only person Paul has in mind here is the broken person. The person whose good works are done in the faith that God uses our feeble efforts to achieve great glory for his kingdom. This weekend, Mike Schultz, the flag bearer for Team USA in the Paralympics, will compete in snowboarding on a leg that he developed and made by experimenting with what he needed in his garage. He said, you know, I was piddling around in my garage and I thought to myself, he lost his leg in a snowmobile accident. He said, I was piddling around in my garage and I thought, what better thing to make than my own leg? Now that is like a daunting thing for a non-mechanical person to hear. (laughs) I mean, I'm doing well if I can stay on top of it and keep the garage swept, okay? That's my great challenge in the garage. Um, 
But he, yeah, he had a prosthetic, but he thought, I need a better one. I'm an active person. And he, he developed and made one that works great for him and it's carried him into snowboard championship. He now makes them for others, many of whom are wounded veterans. I heard a great interview with him this week. Maybe you heard it too. In it, he said, well, the, the, I thought it was a great question. You know, he's had such success now in, you know, in the wake of his uh, horrendous tragedy that the interviewer said, are, you know, in the end, are you glad that you, I mean, this is a great life. You know, are you glad that you have been able to do all this? He said, well, you know, of course I'm glad I can do all this. But he said, there's not one day that I don't want my leg. It's a poignant picture of life in a fallen world, isn't it? You, know, you say, I got up in the middle of the night. I forgot to put my leg on. You know, I'm holding my baby girl. I lost my balance. And, you know, he said, fortunately, the bed was nearby. It's not one day that I don't want my leg. But God's blessing him, and he has a great life. Poignant and redemptive picture, isn't it? As an analogy, at least, um, what it's like to be human in a fallen world. We too groan, as we sang earlier, groan for new bodies and a, a new life where we don't have to deal with the imperfections that grind us down. And when we hear Paul say we're created for good works in Christ Jesus, we imagine that person who does these good works to be someone else who has their stuff really together. And for some reason, they're always prettier and handsomer than us, too. I don't know why. But the gospel tells us that all of us are hobbled. And, man, it stinks, doesn't it? One way it stinks. But the gospel also says that it's okay. In our less than whole state, we are, by the mercies of God, those who are radically accepted by God. Those who really do good works prepared for us in Christ Jesus. This is your narrative, child of God, who is radically accepted. Tell that story to each other even as you tell your stories to each other. And don't believe in a lesser narrative. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.